Hey everyone, welcome back to The Art of Getting Your Shit Together. I'm one of your hosts, Jenna, and I wanted to introduce our guest today, who is freaking amazing. Kelsey Smith is a stage two breast cancer survivor, and she is bringing her story to the show today. I hope you enjoyed this interview. You can find Kelsey over at thecansurvivor.org and her podcast, The Can Survivor Podcast with Kelsey Smith. And I highly encourage you to go check her out and give her lots of love and support. Without further ado, here is the interview with Kelsey. Roll the tape. Welcome to the Art of Getting Your Shit Together podcast, where each week we help you identify the bullshit that's holding you back and discover the courage to take action to create a life you love and enjoy. Welcome back. I am your host, Jenna. And I'm Lindsay. And we are back with a very, very special interview today for you guys with Kelsey Smith. She is a breast cancer survivor. She is our age in her 30s, and she's going to tell you her whole story. Um, But before I go ahead and introduce her onto the show, I would love for you guys to know a little bit about her, and I'm going to read her bio. So Kelsey Smith is a business development coach, patient advocate, support group facilitator, and host of the Cancer Survivor Network, a podcast that helps others navigate through a breast cancer diagnosis. Diagnosed with stage 2 breast cancer at the age of 29, she underwent aggressive treatment, which included chemotherapy and a mastectomy. Now almost five years out of treatment, Kelsey teaches others on the reality of the disease while helping those who have suffered from the illness feel understood in their new world they did not ask to be in. She works with the American Cancer Society, regional universities, and local charity organizations to help them understand the needs of patients after treatment is complete. Kelsey Smith, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Yes, thank you for being here. Thanks so much. This is actually my first podcast I've ever been interviewed for, surprisingly. Well, welcome. (laughs) Thank you. This month, we've been focusing on lasting change. And since wellness is at the top of everybody's mind and at the beginning of every year, we all make our resolutions and we all want to be our best selves right out of the gate. We wanted to kind of talk to people who have been through different health challenges and shed some light on their stories and bring those to the world because I think especially you have a very unique story. And it's unfortunate that we're hearing more and more from people who have had cancer at such a young age, but we really wanted everybody to know more about you and all the good things that you're doing now that you're on the other side of it. Sure, sure. So currently today, just so everybody knows, there are... 3.5 million women out there that are living with this disease in all stages. So I just feel like my story, you know, now that I'm kind of in the world of breast cancer and I am involved in marketing and all that great stuff, I, I actually experience it all the time. But, you know, we're in such a, there's such a cultural shift going on with the conversation about cancer. There, there, it used to be the big C. It was super scary. And I mean, don't get me wrong, it's scary. And I'll tell you guys about it. But people are becoming more forward. And there is this awesome wave of like vulnerability that's happening within the breast cancer community that uh, we just feel like if we can help anybody else who ends up joining this shitty ass sisterhood, like pardon my language, but it's really like, like I said at the beginning, like it's it's the club nobody even has to be in or wants to be in. And so, um, you know, people are like, oh, my gosh, like how, how old are you? You really already went through cancer. Sometimes I, I feel like my life is 
I feel like I'm experiencing things 20 years sooner than my peers sometimes, <laughs> you yeah. know, because, because at the age of, of 29, like I, my priorities were very, very different. So at the age that I was diagnosed, this was back in 2014, I had just finally found a career path that I enjoyed, which was in product marketing, which is actually how I met Jenna. And I was having that year, I was having such a great time. Like I finally felt like, okay, I'm financially, I'm going to be back on the right path. And, you know, career wise, everything is just going so awesome. I actually love my job for once. Like, this is amazing. And, and I had had a ser- series of mishaps before I started the job. So I was really like ready to find my home within my, my company, you know, company and my workplace and everything. I was ready eight days after I get signed on. I get a diagnosis that I have stage two breast cancer. And what happened was uh, around the time that I had gotten uh, the position at the company that Jen and I used to work with, there was my biggest worry at the time was like all my skin, like my skin, I had dealt with cystic acne, like all my life, just hormonally, I've I've also I've always had those kinds of ups and downs that come with the cycle. And I used to cycle like every three weeks. So um, emotionally, my emotional health, I had to work really hard over the years to get it in a healthy place. And so I felt that at 29, I finally got myself there. And then I got hit with that diagnosis. And so what happened was when I was taking that, I was taking a medication called isotretinoin, a lot of people know it as Oh, what do they call it? Accutane. Yeah, a lot of people know it as Accutane. I was taking it because I had dealt with cystic acne for many years. So I remember it was the end of September. My skin was so dried out. Like it was so dried out, so bad. And I was putting lotion on after a shower. And at around the four o'clock area of my breast, kind of near, near, not quite my nipple, but like my areola, I felt something. I, I, and in, in, in the moment when I felt it, I was like, oh shit, I've got cancer. And it was just like, oh my gosh. Well, around the time that I found the lump, there was so much going on at work. Like we were launching like five different products and I had to really keep my head in the game. I couldn't call the doctor because I just kept forgetting about it. But I told my dermatologist, hey, you know, I know you have a background in OBGYN. Do you want to check this lump out? And she said, no, I'm going to go ahead and have you call your gynecologist. So call my gynecologist and it was about time for my yearly pap. So decided to get all of that checked out. And I kind of had forgotten about the the lump. Um, I got sick at the end of September. And then again, like two weeks later, it was like the flu hit me twice. And it was bizarre. I was going to urgent care and they were just sending me home with like narcos. Like they didn't know what was going on. And at the very worst, I was they were thinking that I had mono. So I remember getting tested for mono and they were like, <laughs> and I was thinking like, oh shit, if I have mono and I just started this position, like what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. And, you know, kind of forgetting that, oh, I have this little lump going on, you know, didn't really think about it. So the, the lump itself too was kind of like, um, it was like the size of a quarter lima bean. Um, it moved a little bit like as I would touch it, but it was kind of stuck in the area. And I noticed also my nipple changed. Uh, my, uh, my left nipple had changed. And there was like a mark that was there that wouldn't go away. It hadn't healed for like two years. I remember like I had just gotten back from I went to Coachella in 2012. So I was there. And then I remember getting back and like feeling, you know, like are seeing like that there was some discoloration. But I didn't ever do a self breast exam because hey, I'm young, it doesn't, that's not going to happen to me. It's, you know, there was no family history for me. 
So basically at, at 29, I start going through, you know, I find this lump and I'm starting to get it checked out. My gynecologist says, it's probably fine, but let's go ahead and have you looked at just, just in case. Like they're going to, and it's because it's a lump, they're going to make you go through a mammogram and they're going to make you go through an ultrasound. That was it. I didn't even begin looking on things online because I didn't want to freak myself out. I didn't want to do that. I knew that I had told a medical professional. They, I was lucky enough to have her listen to me because a lot of the times, as I, I document a lot of people's stories, um, a lot of people who are young and they're pregnant, for example, and they know something's wrong, they'll be brushed off. Oh, you're just pregnant. Oh, it's just probably a clogged milk duct. Oh, it's not a big deal. But I'm telling you right now, like if you're listening to this and you're like, oh my God, yeah, listen and advocate for yourself. Absolutely. Because you are, you, you literally become your own best friend when you get breast cancer. So basically what happened was, you know, I get this mammogram and I get an ultrasound. Well, the thing about a mammogram is it's kind of like finding a polar bear in the snow. If a woman has dense breasts, like I do, white will show up all around. It's not quite easy to see that there is something going on there. That's not always able to detect breast cancer. And so, but in my case, I had density, but this was real, like it was white. And if you look at mammograms with breast cancer, you like if I look at my x-rays compared to what I see on the internet, it matches. So I get the ultrasound and they tell me after that that they know it's not a cyst. And there was, I remember the lady who was scheduling me, she was like, She's like, oh, it's probably fine. I had this chicken fat in my breast when I was 27, and look at me, I'm great now. And um, but it really wasn't until they they scheduled me for a biopsy where I was like, okay, maybe this is a little bit more serious than what I what I think it is. And I just remember sitting on the ultrasound table or lying on the ultrasound table, and I got injected with Novocaine three times, and it wasn't enough for when they did the biopsy. So when they when they pulled the trigger to get the to get the actual specimen out it snapped like really, really hard. Oh my God, it was awful. And like the whole pain just bursted Mm. and I started crying like a child, just Uh. like, you know, and it was just awful. And I had a boyfriend at the time and we were only together for like a month and that was it. And it wasn't, you know, a serious kind of thing. We definitely liked each other, but we were just kind of taking it day by day. He was real laid back. I was real laid back person too. It was just like, okay, whatever. But you know, he's now dating somebody who just may have breast cancer. I don't know. I ended up taking him the night before I was diagnosed. His stepdad had to get a triple bypass at the same time. So I ended up taking him to the airport and uh, he ended up going out to Wisconsin. And the next morning while I was at work, um, I get a, I get a call. Like my boss, I remember that morning, like my boss had just asked me, he's like, have you heard back from the doctors yet? And I said, no, I haven't. I'm like really not trying to think about it right now, but I'll let you know what's going on. And at that point I had maybe only told one other person in the office because she had breast cancer. And I just wanted to know like, what, what am I up against here? And I'll never get it. I'll never, ever. You just don't forget that phone call. You know, it's like, um, she calls me. I have a couple missed calls, like after I get out and she's like, Kelsey, it's Dr. Regani, please give me a call. Not like right away. Like she didn't sound like she was panicking, but it was like, please call me. I am, I'm working at this hospital today. I'm not, she wasn't even in the office. She about shit herself when she saw that diagnosis. She ran over to call me right away and everything. And 
um, you know, she, she, I remember when I finally got in touch with her, I was calling her like different numbers. I was like, oh my gosh, like we were just missing each other in translation. And then finally she calls me back and she's like, Kelsey, um, I have, I have news and it's not so good. And that was when like the vortex of darkness appeared, you know, and that was when she was like, you have invasive ductal cancer. And I was just shaking. I was stunned. I started crying and I was in like a, I was in like a dark room when it happened. So that didn't help either. And I, I'm, I'm sure I wailed. I'm sure people might've heard me, you know, I was just, I was so like inside, I couldn't believe it. And I had dealt with a lot of depression from like a lot of the hormonal issues and whatnot. So, you know, I was of course chastising myself of like, gosh, Kelsey, you've had depression. And then you know, now you have breast cancer, like, you know, don't ever have depression ever again and, and things like that. But it, I mean, it doesn't work that way. Were you at work when? Yeah. Yeah. And, and my boss had to drive me home because I couldn't drive. And I know there's one question that comes up on this podcast and it's what's your favorite failure. And I would have to say that, you know, in 2013, like I left security. I left a secure job to try something new with a startup and it was a bus and they fired me. And I got like a three months severance package, but then I ended up going on Medicaid and that literally like saved my life because at the time I was on Medicaid and that helped me out tremendously. But yeah, with the Medicaid, the kicker is that you have to get prior authorizations for literally everything. So I ended up walking. It took me an hour to find a general doctor. That's what my, my gynecologist said. Just find a, find a general surgeon right away. I called the first general surgeon I could find that, that took my insurance. And I, I'll, you know, I'll never forget that call either and how sad she was for me. But I was like panicked because I was like, oh my gosh, I have to get this taken out of me. Like right now, for two days, I didn't know what my stage was. I had no idea. Like she mm -hmm. just told me I had cancer and I didn't, I didn't follow up on it. So that night I went to a concert and I remember I bought tickets for an advance and the tour was called You're Dead. Oh, great. And it was on 11-11. So, you know, for people who are really into the spiritual and the woo-woo, that 11-11 just smacked me right in the face. So, uh, yeah, it was it was insane. And, um, you know, there's just there's just a death that happens after getting breast cancer. And when I, you know, when I knew I had it, I found out two days later, I went to a surgeon, found one. I had to, like, basically walk to the uh, doctor's office and get a prior off because I didn't have a car. And so I was like, I got to walk. So I walked two miles and I ended up finding him. And then after that, I ended up getting on a train to go to Tempe and went straight to the concert. And that was it. And I just, I didn't talk to anybody. I did it, you know, all by myself. I cried through it. I mean, I really went through the, you know, all the emotions. So it took me a couple of weeks after I knew what was going on with my diagnosis and what my treatment plan was going to be until were you there, Jenna, when I announced in front of everybody? I was not working there anymore. And the way I found out about this, and, and for, for our listeners, Kelsey and I have known each other since back in the day when we did work together. And I had left and started my own business at that time. But um, I found out on Facebook, unfortunately. Wow. <laughs> yeah. No, actually... I didn't find out on Facebook. I found out through a friend who had saw it on Facebook and then she's like, go look at Kelsey's Facebook. And so I went and looked at your Facebook and I was just devastated for you. And I couldn't, I couldn't believe it that a 29 year old, healthy, vibrant, you know, I had just yeah. talked to you about your acne, like you going on, yeah. we were talking about just regular, normal stuff that everybody just, 
you know, goes about their day and does, you know what I mean? And so I was really shocked to see that happen. So, so you have the diagnosis, you're freaking out obviously. And you had, it sounds like you were, it was pretty rough for you at that time already. And then you get this diagnosis on top of it. So what was the, I know you went through, it was an aggressive cancer and then you went through an aggressive treatment. So can you tell us about your treatment? So, so what they do when pathology, when, when pathologists are looking at cancer specimens, they look at the profile of it and it's really complex. There's different kinds, everything like that. So invasive ductal carcinoma is the most common form of breast cancer. And that is breast cancer of the milk ducts. It can be hormonally responsive. And in my case, it was highly hormonally responsive. So basically talking with my medical team about it, I had the, I had a few options. I was able to do like a lumpectomy and radiation. I was able to do a single mastectomy. I could have done a double. And given my age, given that it was such a freak accident, um, I decided I, I was like, you know what? I'm I have to get a double mastectomy. Like I'll just have to do everything that I can so that I don't have reoccurrence. And thankfully, I did. You know, there's um, the the double mastectomy was was uh, you know quite painful for obvious reasons, but you know, the fear of cancer never really goes away. Like you, you, when you're, when you're in the middle of it, you think like you're going to do all this stuff to lower your risk of getting it. So you're going to go, you know, so aggressive, you're going to do this chemo, whatever. So after getting the double mastectomy and finding out that there was lymph node involvement, so the lymph nodes are just, you know, they're, Mm -hmm. they're putting everything through. So uh, a lot of times what happens with estrogen positive uh, cancers is it shows up 20 some years down the road. Because that's the source of, of the cancer is the ovaries. So basically, like after discussing my options, we decided that a double mastectomy would be best. And then I would have to speak with an oncologist. And at that time that I speak with an oncologist, we'll already know what my cancer really looks like in its entirety once we take it out. And they're able to give it a score. And it's called an oncotype score. And just to give you an idea, 0 to 18 is the low risk. 18 to about 31 is an intermediate risk. And then like 31, 32 or higher is an extremely high risk. And I was at 25. So basically, I was in the dead center of the dead center. And that was a tough day, you know, having somebody with me who was, you know, hearing that, yes, it's, you're gonna, it would probably be a good idea for you to go on chemo with with your cancer. So I had gotten a PET scan, and my insurance didn't want to cover that. And I got it because that tells people tumor markers before it turns into cancer. And my family wanted to know where I stood. So they were across the country. So I didn't have my family with me. Uh, the, the boyfriend I mentioned, he broke up with me like right in the middle of treatment, um, which good riddance, you know. So we weren't together long enough anyway. But uh, yeah, the, the treatment was definitely very, very aggressive. And the chemo ended up lasting for five months. So 20 weeks. So with the chemo, you you lost your hair, you got sick. Oh, I got so sick. Obviously, cancer is the worst malady to have. You know, anything they can find that can kill cancer cells is better, even if it has these adverse, you know, um, effects on our body. Like I lost my hair, so I chose to go aggressive with my chemotherapy. Also, I had options there. I, I, it was either I was going to do these two called adenomyosin cytoxin, like one's known as the red devil, and I was going to do 12 weeks of taxil, or I was just going to stop after those eight weeks. And I decided because of looking at the statistics, and as it turns out, one out of three early stages 
turns into stage four down the road. So just knowing that statistic also, like I decided I'm just going to go through with the full five months. I'm going to work the entire time. I'm going to do my best and I'm, I'm going to make it all happen because I didn't want to, I didn't want other people's charity at the time. And I just wanted to feel somewhat normal and hell yeah, it was, it was just, um, I was faced Jenna with a lot of decisions that, you know, nobody my age should have to, to go through at all. And losing my breasts and all the messaging that we receive about that and, and whatnot, there are just so many things like since going through this that just I realized don't matter anymore. And it, it just taught me, it was really a, a kick in the ass to start getting my shit together yet again. So I, I, you know, go through this five months of treatment, I lose my hair. So I know that you want to know like how that whole experience goes. Losing your hair, you don't think it's going to happen to you. You think that you are going to be impervious to it. You're like, I'm going to be one of those people. I'm just going to be able to keep it. You just, you really can't fathom like what's going on, but you, you know, you suddenly have to become real cool with it right away. The way I managed it was knowing that hair does grow back. There's going to be a better outcome down the road. And knowing that my hair isn't what makes me beautiful. Those were things I really had to drill down in me. And the the day it started falling out, it started falling out kind of small. And then it got really large. And then the next morning, it looked like a whole head of hair. It's probably my most viewed YouTube, viewed YouTube video, like yeah. the hair loss during chemo. Yeah. So I'm trying to fix my hair and, and my hair is so thin and I'm flat ironing it and it's just falling out as I'm fixing it. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh, like you suddenly feel like the crib keeper because you know, your hair is getting all thinned out and you're losing it. And then, you know, you're seeing it there and it's just like, it's, it's, it's a morning, it's a whole morning process. And you know, as soon as I, I lost my hair, um, the day after I turned 30 years old. So the night of my 30th birthday was the last night of my actual period. And also like the last night that I had my, I had naturally like beautiful, dark, wavy hair. Oh my God. I miss that hair so much, but it's not the same. It doesn't come back the same way. So yeah, I lost it. And then the day after my birthday, went to my hairdresser and just told her, I'm like, just shave it off. She's like, I'm not going to put a guard on it. I'm like, I don't know what that means. And she's like, that means we're going to the scalp. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. You know, and I put the top down afterwards and I just had to that day realize like I am no evidence of disease. Like I'm doing all of this preemptively and I don't have to worry about wearing lip gloss with my top down anymore. <laughs> you know, no hair for it to get caught on. I can, you know, I can just kind of enjoy the ride and everything and, you know, not worry about the tangles and all that kind of stuff that you deal with with having hair. So uh, I have a really kick-ass birthmark on the back of my head. It kind of looks like, I don't know, Africa or like Brazil or something. Like it's just super cool. So I found that out. And I mean, not trying to brag too much, but I kind of rocked, I kind of rocked the bald. I you did. Yeah, <laughs> you did. You look you look out. pretty killer with a you had a you have a really great head. <laughs> I do, I do. It's like this beautifully round it's head. It's perfect. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was it was fun, but you know, then people coming up and wanting to know what's going on with you because you know I I looked healthy and I, that's what I think rocked people on the outside so badly because I was like that crack in their security that everything was going to be okay because it's like if Kelsey 
gets cancer. Like, what's the hope for the rest of us? She, she was literally just climbing mountains like three months ago. Like, mm-hmm. I don't understand what's going on. She lives life to the fullest. Like, she's a happy person. And I generally was. But it just, you know, the thing I've learned, too, is like, it just sometimes I'm not trying to be nihilistic here. But it almost doesn't matter sometimes because even the vegan gets cancer and you know, the person that drinks the most milk and all these things. And so you either are going to get it or you're not going to. And I lucked out that I I'm not BRCA positive and that's, you know, something that will tell people whether or not they have a genetic predisposition for certain cancers. Um, but I had no genetic mutations at all. It was literally a, a, a whole entire fluke. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about you went through your treatment and then it was five months of hell and then you were done and you got a, I'm going to use air quotes here, a clean bill of health. You were on the other (laughs) side of it. And I know that this is something that isn't talked about a lot is what happens after you survive? How do you move forward after this aspect of going through an an incredibly life-threatening disease you're facing death, you make it. And so you would think that the natural feeling would be, I fucking kicked this cancer's ass and I'm here and I'm going to make the most of my life. And it's a brand new day and all these like, you know, rainbows and unicorns and fireworks and all this shit. And then I'm guessing that's not how it was. And I know from being there and being your friend after this, this experience, you were in a very dark place. Yeah, very, very dark. And I was like, come on, Kelsey, let's go. Get out of here. And you're like, no, I'm not ready to crawl out of the hole yet. But can you tell us a little bit about survivor's guilt and all of the shit that happens afterwards? Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you are, you're, you know, like going through like four appointments a week, and then suddenly you have zero, it is a total change. I don't know. It's, It's like, at first, it does feel liberating because you're done. You do all the fun stuff, like you get the port removed. That was like such a liberating day, knowing that like I could eat sushi again because like I couldn't eat raw food and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, people threw a party for me. It was awesome. You know, I tried my hand at going out on a date, like the week that I was done. You know, whatever that was, and you know, I was like, okay, I'm gonna be like vivacious, Kels, and it's all gonna be okay. And, um, I just, I decided there were a couple things that, that kicked it off. It was like, I moved and I was like, I knew I need a new environment. I need a new space. And so I was putting things together the way I wanted to, you know, live in a certain place and all this. Like I had these really big expectations for how I was going to handle survivorship. And just a couple months later, just feeling like, where is everybody? And, what's going on and nothing's the same. I, I, I like my hair didn't just sprout right back. It was a slow growth. My fingernails fell off. What the hell just happened to my fingernails and like my thumb. And it, it took like over a year for that to, to grow back. And then just the overall fatigue that, you know, I would feel every single morning pain from the exchange because I wasn't quite done with my treatment and I was highly inflated and it was under my chest and, that was really hard and uncomfortable. And everybody's telling me like, you're in the clear, you're safe, you know, and I'm like, I don't believe it. I don't believe it anymore at all. Like, I just I literally like, what did I just go through? Mm-hmm. I haven't even gotten time to process this. And, th- and then the processing begins. And, and my father passed away. Um, there was like one one week where it was like, I was getting ready to have my exchange surgery. And I got shingles three days prior, two weeks later, ended up 
finding bed bugs in that nice apartment that I had just moved to because they had an existing problem that they didn't tell me about. So I had to move again. And it just all this chaos started happening. And I started letting certain people in and that wasn't working out very well. And it caused just a lot of emotional pain for me because I really thought that this particular person was going to change for me and they didn't. And that was super heartbreaking. And six months later, I quit my job and I just fell into the worst emotional pain and depression you could imagine because I, you know, wasn't doing more for other people. And, you know, I feel so battered and I feel so broken inside and like, what just happened to me? The 2016 was like a year that like a lot of my friends were getting married. I was asked to be in two out of three of the weddings and I just mentally couldn't be there. And some of those friendships actually fell apart. And that was really hard also. So it was a lot of expectations of how I should be and how strong I should be. And when I'm feeling like a total failure, because my body just straight up took a total dump on me. And I have to put this tree juice in my body in order to feel better. And then people have their opinions on on the matter too. And that's also really painful because you know, you're seeing it and it's like, Oh my God. Like, and then the, the, the guilt comes in of like, why did I get to survive? And then there is a 23 year old with brain cancer who isn't going to make it. That guilt is so, so intense. And it just sparked like this really big change in me. And uh, I was looking for answers. Like I just kept trying to look for answers. Like, what did I do wrong? Where did I go wrong? Am, am I a karmic nightmare? Am I a horrible person? Did I deserve to get cancer? I asked all those questions. And there was this part of me that was like, yes, you deserved it. You deserved it. It's all your fault. Like your friends don't care, you know, and all that. Like you, you, you feel like such an incredible burden because you've had to ask for help so much. And especially being independent when your independence is taken away from you. And that is just, it's such a deep, deep loss. And I basically lost who I knew I was before cancer. It's all gone, you know, it's all gone. And I've had, I'm this new person. And I know that estrogen, um, if you drink, for example, like it raises estrogen in the body and me being estrogen positive, I can't be out there drinking. Like I'm going to kill myself, you know? It was an entire lifestyle change for you. Entire lifestyle change. And, and during the time I'm like, what is wrong with me? Like who, who is, who am I? And um, I was trying to go to therapy and therapy wasn't like really working the way that I was hoping that it would. And I wasn't finding that solace and that comfort, but I wasn't ready to go seek out support groups yet. And Jenna turned me on to the spiritual psychologist named Christine Hassler, who had just a really great way of explaining a lot of things that happened and especially things that have happened maybe in your past that, you know, were not your fault, but you feel like it's your fault. And, you know, things just didn't really come easy. And I thought by moving to Arizona and getting the career that I wanted that I would be out, you know, and I would be able to move my life forward. And then I, you know, get hit with this big thing. So yeah, I I ended up working with Christine Hassler for um, about six months or so. And I actually got to meet her last year, which was just amazing. And I had to speak my truth in front of like 50 people. And (laughs) for some reason, you know, I've had to be that person to to speak like in uncomfortable truths or say things about how I'm feeling on the inside that maybe other people don't have either the courage to say or they're just too scared to admit. And uh, 
cancer brings out these feelings of like trying to make sense of your whole entire life. So, you know, for me, I'm going way back deep, deep, deep into my childhood to find out like what happened? Like, where did I go wrong, for example? And, uh, you know, did this set me up? And, you know, I'm, I'm from an environment where there was a lot of companies dumping things. Like, is that the contributing factor? You know, it's, it's my fault. I live there. And, oh, yeah. I mean, it's just your mind plays so many tricks on you. And, and especially if you have had, like, mental illness, like depression, along mm-hmm. with cancer. You know, I, I basically through Christine Hasser was able to develop more practical ways of getting through everything that I had to get through. And I've since channeled it into a podcast. Now you're doing amazing things out into the world. So we tell the story, the shitty story to tell this story, yeah. which is now you're taking this tragic thing that happened to you and all the questions and all the wonderment and like, why did this happen to me? Yeah. Was it, you know, my shitty childhood? What is it, this thing? Was it my depression? Like all the questions and you're taking this and channeling it into a force for good. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So, um, in the quest of finding answers, uh, destiny led me towards the young survival coalition and it is a, um, organization that hosts meetups for young people with breast cancer. And it was there that I felt like, oh my gosh, there's people like me that are here. And there's such a diversity in the women that were there and different stories, different countries, locations, you, you nationalities. I mean, it's everything. Like it's everybody representing everything. And I couldn't believe what was available to us there that like the public doesn't even know about. I was there and there was a nipple prosthesis company that I absolutely fell in love with called Pink Perfect and now I'm an ambassador for them. There's Sephora for all the women who lost their eyebrows because you lose your eyebrows during chemo and that's the thing too is in addition to my hair like after chemo was over I lost my eyelashes, I lost my nose hairs, like my arm hairs, I lost it (laughs) all. Yeah. So you didn't have to shave your legs anymore? No for a while I did have to. Yo, like episode number four on my podcast, she talks about like pulling out her hair and being like, woohoo, you know, there's certain parts like you don't have to worry about and everything because anything that's rapidly growing is going to get attacked by the chemo. So you lose all your hair. And so uh, the tax all affects your nails. So that's why my nail fell apart and everything too. It was crazy. So there's all these different ways at the body. So I got shingles, you know, I mean, Like everything happened that was awful even after treatment. You know, my father passed away. I didn't, wasn't even close with him, but like it still affected me on on some level. It was like another Mm -hmm. loss. And, um, you know, there was all these things. So coming to the Young Survival Coalition and feeling so lost and then leaving there feeling so full, like the way that I had felt that when I met everybody in California for Christine's retreat also is just like, okay, like the world isn't against me and the, the world is here. We're all here to help each other. And I didn't know of a podcast that was really talking about the products or the services or the kind of initiatives that 
that are really like people that are really on the ground. It's like we, you know, we hear all this crap talking about certain organizations and, and that's fine, but I choose to show people what is actually available. Hey, we have this awesome t-shirt company by somebody named Emily. She makes these t-shirts and she's kicking ass and we should be supporting her. The real entrepreneurs that are creating and sourcing their own goods. And there's a lot of it going on here. And I was so just amazed in like the best way. And I, and coming back, I was going to either start a podcast about music because that's just something I'm very passionate about, or I was going to start a podcast about breast cancer experiences and I was going to interview people. And that's what I chose was the, was the latter because I just started making all these connections with people. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, somebody has to know about you. Somebody has to know about you. And people really also need to know the the reality that, you know, it's not all roses after the treatment's over because, you know, I have to go back to my oncologist every six months for him to check me up and I have to go get the MR. You know, I'm dealing with the anxieties. I'm dealing with the long-term effects. I'm dealing with the chemo brain. I'm dealing, you know, with all of these ailments that like, my employers don't understand and like people around me, they don't understand me either. And it's, it's just, I, I, I decided it was time for me instead of just giving myself so much to just kind of go within and, and figure out what it was that just made my heart sing and, and what brought me joy and shedding light on all of these, you know, men and women who are really truly involved in the breast cancer fight. It just, you know, it makes me feel like I'm doing, doing my part. Yeah. Yeah. I love, love, love that. I feel like it's, I'm sitting here listening to everything you're saying, Kelsey, and it's so amazing. And it's a real true testament to your bravery. And you've talked, you said several times and how you kind of transformed your life, taking the courage to do something different, whether it was moving out here to Arizona and starting this, what you thought would be your dream job, and then relocating after your diagnosis to heal and be somewhere different. And now, you know, being in such a dark place, understanding that, and then getting out of what you call that dark hole, you know, coming out of that place and now really sharing and being vulnerable in a space to share the story and to share your truth is really, really inspiring. And so I'm in awe listening to your story. And I know, you know, Jenna, but as from someone who is just now meeting you, thank you for being strong. Thank you for being brave. And thank you for sharing your story with everybody. Cause it's just really amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's, it's definitely a, it's, it's a beautifully tragic <laughs> story. And, um, but you know, I still believe I still have hope that, you know, we're going to find the cure for cancer and we're all working on it right now and everybody's doing amazing things. And, um, there's, there's still life to be lived, but with limitations sometimes. So, that's, you know, that that's what it is. And really finding that going to support for individuals like me gave me a lot of life also, you know, and helped me find my voice again, because I, I changed so much that I just didn't want to speak anymore, because I was just so embarrassed, like, how are people going to perceive this new me? And I don't like to go do the things that I used to do anymore. And I would rather just be present with people now. And, um, and I've had to find those similar values. And it's just, it's just what happens. And we all have situations and, and, and I was uniquely given mine for some reason or another. <laughs> so I'm just trying to manage it every day. But yeah, it's not perfect. I mean, last last week I fell into panic. And last month I had major anxiety because I thought I found a lump and my oncologist thought so too. And it never goes away as much as you want to like 
let it go and all this stuff, but it just changes everything. And, and given I have to take a medication every day for, for the next year, I've been taking it for like four years, it makes me sweat. It gives me hot flashes. I can't sleep very well. I'm fatigued. A lot of times it's, kind of tough, but I, I still want to create magic and beauty in the world because I still think it's necessary. I love that. And that's, what's so amazingly beautiful about you is that you were able to overcome this and then you're still trying to find, and I, and, and two with depression, that's not something that ever really goes. I mean, that's something that people manage and Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so the fact that you're still trying to find the bright spots and help others, I think that's really truly where we find that we can give back to the world is by helping other people is our contribution to the greater good and how to, you know, pick other people up when they're down. And you have always been that person, even before your diagnosis and even after. So for me, it was so frustrating when I'm like, I just want you to be Kelsey and the girl, you know, and of course, selfishly, that's what I, that's the yeah. demand everybody puts on you. But yeah, and then you feel horrible when you can't live. Yeah, with it. yeah, horrible. And, yeah, and shame on all of us who don't understand it, you know. And so that's another reason why we're bringing your story is because if you know anyone who is going through cancer, not only are they dealing with a potentially fatal disease. Mm-hmm. But it's all of the mental demons that come out. And like you were talking, and I know Lindsay and I talk a lot about the inner critic. Yes. And all of that really negative self-talk that can come up and really just drag you even further into that hole. And then for you to just come up and still continue to be, I love that you're like, I want to share your story and everyone needs to know your story. And it's awesome too. And then you're helping them feel validated in their purpose and their walk in this journey. And I love how you said I was uniquely given my situation, which is the shittiest situation, but you're taking that and you're moving it ahead. It's, you know, and and helping others. It's amazing. So I want to ask you, but we're going to get into our little series of questions and I'm going to have Lindsay lead you through those since I've been a mic hog. Sorry. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I feel like if anybody, it's me. Oh my gosh. I'm such a talker. (laughs) Um, But what is your takeaway for, I want you to give a couple take, like two takeaways for people who are going through this or on the other side of it. And then two takeaways for those of us who have never been through cancer, how we can support others in their prognosis and journey through treatment and then even in the aftermath. So two things that I hope that everybody takes away from listening to this and thinking about cancer survivors in you know your life, just know that there is a tremendous amount of pressure put on them to survive. And some days it's easier to carry than others. And some days it's consistently too difficult to carry to where you give up for a while. And it's okay. Like you do not owe anybody an explanation. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to feel all of the emotions that are involved. I, I think that it's so easy to want to bypass even going through it. And it's just something that you have to be consciously aware of and kind of be in the face of because to know all of your options at any given time and being resourceful is seriously such, it's so important to just be your own advocate and, and find those people that understand that, you know, you have to walk into some really uncomfortable, 
comfortable places sometimes, and that's okay. And and for others that want to reach out and they, they want to help, it's really helpful to know that it is just as uncomfortable for us having cancer being young as it is for you being the person observing it. It is not... It's awkward because there's a possibility that, you know, as me, being, I was always classically a people pleaser. I don't want to let people down and, you know, show them I have like this incredible weakness. But just, you know, we all we all are going through something incredibly tragic and some so many of us don't show it. And it's OK to let your guard down around just a couple of people who will have your back. And that's going to change sometimes. And that's hard, too. Mm-hmm. But it's OK. It's okay. The people that are meant to be there will absolutely be there. Yeah. I love that. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. We have a few questions that we're going to be asking all of our guests. Yes. And I will have you, I'll have Lindsay start with the first one. These are going to be, we're going to switch it up and some of them are going to be fun and you can relate it obviously way (laughs) back to your store if you want, or you can go in a completely different direction. So, all right, perfect. I'm curious. You've said so much and had some strong points and you have a lot of strong values clearly and that you hold dear to to progress through every day and and to serve your community and to do everything that you're doing but what are your top three values if you could identify three what would those be so number one is honesty i would absolutely say that sometimes honesty is really uncomfortable but I think honesty gets us to a collective place of betterment when it comes down to it. It's really important for me to try to be as transparent as possible, especially with going through something like breast cancers. People who are really going through it, they'll be really honest with you about everything. So ultimately, like I'm glad that my doctors and my medical team, everybody is honest with me as they can be. And so I have a really hard time with people you know, who, who, if I'm trying to uncover something, they're not telling me something. It's really frustrating for me. Another value of mine is knowledge. I think knowledge is especially important in this world. I think a lot of what we know as knowledge is being challenged right now, but we can all do our best and do our part to kind of see what's, what's going on and what's not going on. I really, really value knowledge and, and continuous learning. Like it's just essential. Mm-hmm. And my third value. Oh my gosh. Freedom. I think freedom would be the big one for me. And cancer kind of takes it away from you for a little bit. Like I'm on this five-year plan and I didn't want to be on a five-year plan and I didn't ask for that, but it's teaching. It's kind of, I'm, I'm learning freedom all over again since going through this. Yeah. Love that. One of our favorite questions to ask our guests is what is your shit sandwich? <laughs> I think, you know, cancer is the shit sandwich, but really, um, I know I thought about this question. I thought about this question, I'm like, gosh, what is the answer? And it's probably the tamoxifen, uh, to tell you the truth, the, the drug that I'm on, because it's like, you're basically put in a menopause, right? But mm-hmm. it's there to save your life. But you know, at the same time, it's like, you feel like you're just aging, like my bones crack now, my joints will hurt sometimes. About once a month, I'll just be like super duper sick where I can't even do anything. Like I'm stuck in bed. Um, I can't exercise too much. Like I'll deplete myself. So, but it's preventing me from getting cancer again. It's doing its job. And I just have to accept that there are unfortunately some shitty side effects that go along with taking this medication. Is this the one that you have to take for one more year? You said? Yeah. 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 
So that's absolutely the shit sandwich. And you talk to any woman who has had to be on it and they will likely probably say the same thing. It sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So you mentioned what your favorite failure was earlier with the Medicaid and how that whole thing just kind of happened to fall in place. But when you have a personal failure, how do you bounce back from that? What's your default? I tend to go within and I used to kind of cut people off and just kind of be scared and and not reach out to anybody. But now when I'm in those places, that's what I do. Um, I, I really have to, you know, battle with my mind that's telling me, oh, they don't want to hear from you right now. They don't want to think about cancer right now either. But I, you know, luckily I've developed kind of like what I call that those list of people that's just absolutely critical to have going through this. The depression stuff, the mind can play tricks on you. And even when you are really, truly trying to survive. So yeah, it's, it's absolutely crazy. Um, but bouncing back is done for me through alone time. I'm much more of an introvert than I think. <laughs> I don't know. Like I think that people perceive me as I color, I work on stuff that I do for work and I just kind of keep to myself until I'm ready. But I do reach out to those anchor people. Yeah. So recharging alone, but still having that, that solid foundation of support system. Yes. What would be, if you could think of one, a favorite quote that you think of often or that you live your life by? Comparison is the thief of joy. Hmm. That's a good one. Yeah, because I think we all find ourselves in the comparison game and one person may have it a hell of a lot worse, but then there's also somebody who's on the other end of the spectrum that doesn't have it so bad. So I think, um, you know, giving ourselves a little bit more credit in this world for, you know, the way things are and, and what we're doing is absolutely crucial. Yeah. Well, and a lot of times we're just looking at somebody's highlight reel anyway. That's true. So you're, you're comparing your realistically you know, your, your life that's realistically shitty half the time, just like everybody else's to everybody else's highlight reel. Yeah. Most of our thoughts about anything are assumptions. Right. And it's another one that I think about too, is you are, you're not a mess. You are just a feeling person in a messy world. And that's Glennon Doyle. I love her. She's the best. Yeah. She's got some amazing stuff on her Instagram. Everybody go follow Glennon Doyle. She's awesome. Yeah, she is. (laughs) (laughs) And Chris and Christine Hessler is also awesome. Yes. So last one is where can people find you and follow you, Kelsey? People can find me on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm on, I have a Facebook page also. So if you just look up the can survivor, so it's a portmanteau of cancer and survivor, but it's C-A-N survivor. So in, in choosing that name, I, I chose it because I saw so many people calling themselves cancer survivors, but it was like cancer was the longer word. And I was like, oh no, screw that. I want it to be like, I want survivorship to be it. So, so the can survivor and it just kind of stuck. And uh, if you even, if you look up the can survivor network, um, that may be a way to find me. So I'm at the can survivor on Instagram and the can survivor by Kelsey Smith on Facebook. Go ahead and follow me there. And your podcast is called the can survivor network. Well, thank you so much Thanks for, for telling your story and being here with us when it's a bajillion degrees below zero there and it's late, <laughs> it's late where she is. We can't wait to share your story with everybody and we will talk to you soon and we're going to continue following your journey. All yes, right. Thank you so much, Kelsey. Thank you for having me, ladies. It's been a pleasure. The privilege was ours. Thank you. 
The Art of Getting Your Shit Together is produced and edited by LD Coaching and Blush Cactus Boutique Design Studio. We would love it if you'd head over to iTunes and subscribe, leave us five stars, and write a quick review. If you enjoy this podcast, share it with your friends so that we can continue to grow our tribe. Tag us on Instagram at tagist underscore podcast with your shares, and we'll feature you on our story. Don't forget to grab our free guide, five things you can do right now to get your shit together and start living your best life over at tagus.com slash kick more ass. Remember, your life only gets better when you decide to grow and it's never too late to get your shit together.